Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hey guys, it's Chris again, and today, like I promised, more interviews, and I'm interviewing my friend Crystal Stevens. And we are at the Lapham Peak Evergreen Shelter sitting by the fire. So she's the director of operations at Life Striders in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. This is the third episode all about rider health. So I thought I would do one episode about rider health. It ends up, I got so many files and enough to make almost three. So we're, in, we're interviewing you um, because I know that your heart is full of horses. It's full of helping people. And if you could tell me what you do at Life Striders and about the changes you see in people that are working with your horses. Yeah. So uh, my role is really um, overseeing all of the operations. Um, I work closely with the volunteer management, um, all of the different therapists and all the different programs, uh, as well as fundraising. As a nonprofit, we are so dependent on the community coming in to support what we do, not only with their time, but with their funds as well. Um, so my role oversees all of these different areas. Um, And then I've been in the world of therapeutic or equine-assisted therapies now for almost 12 years, Um, and I've been with Life Striders for seven. It's been the best 12 years of my life, by all means. I think um, being able to firsthand witness miracles every day, as we say, from two-year-olds that are learning to walk and talk on the horse to um, 86-year-olds that are able to recall memories more than ever when they're on the horse and they're um, they're working to maintain memory and range of motion and um, stave off isolation that our senior um, crowd often is really facing now more and more these days. And so uh, being a part of an organization that, again, is not only able to make physical changes in people's lives, um, but also the emotional gains that so many of us who have our own horses are able to experience as well. Could you give me an example of some of the activities you do on horseback, but that I know that the range of motion that they gain from the horse? Yeah, so the movement of the horse is really the key. So when our sitter, our riders sit astride the horse, they are actually getting their, um, they're getting core strength um, and increasing their balance. We hear tremendous um, testimonials from physicians and chiropractors and surgeons and parents alike, all letting us know how within even this little six weeks, our participants are gaining strength. And this goes a long way when you're talking about somebody um, who's wheelchair bound and doesn't have any other forms of exercises. By being able to sit on the horse, every time that horse starts, stops, and turns, that individual has to engage their core strength and balance. And so we see that tremendous gains in those um, areas very quickly. It's probably the fastest thing that we see. The other part that we see is increase in speech and verbalization, which is really cool, but why is that happening? And again, it goes back to the movement of the horse. So many of our participants do have a gait abnormality, or again, they're unable to walk at all. With that decrease in uh, ambulation, um, you also see a decrease to the temporal lobe as well. And that's our speech and language centers of the brain. It's also our sequencing, reading, math, all of these life skills that really come in handy for all of us every day. 
So when they're on the horse, that horse is actually overlaying um, that same stimuli to the brain, and it's doing it double time. So with their four beats star every two. So for that hour, our clients are getting immense stimuli, again, to that temporal lobe. They're able to work on um, range of motion, crossing the midline through our exercises that we um, give them. We incorporate weights. Um, Again, we have physical therapists and occupational therapists who are able to do traditional type interventions, but on this dynamic surface of the horse that just brings traditional therapies to whole new levels and obviously is that much more enjoyable. This is the one Mm -hmm. therapeutic appointment that our participants are actually eager to come to or looking forward. And it it can be such a drain for many of our families with all of the different appointments they have to go to every week between um, the doctors and the surgeons and the OT and the PT and all of that. So um, to be able to connect with their horse Marcus or their horse Mac and be able to come and really enjoy that time is, is again, another therapeutic aspect. Now, Crystal... I think we've talked about this before, so I think you're aware of this because it had to do with the four-beat rhythm of the horse's walk Mm -hmm. was very identical to how a a mother would rock their child Mm -hmm. or a father would rock their child, Mm -hmm. a parent or a grandparent would rock their child, and that there has been healing in children Mm -hmm. who had either just never made that connection Mm -hmm. and on the horse, Mm -hmm. you're able, the brain is, it can change, it can improve. So have you worked with some youngsters or maybe not so youngsters that you've been able to see them open up and start to accept the connection? We have been able to work with families of trauma. We have, when they maybe didn't have that, again, children through the foster care system who really struggling to make healthy connections with their families. So as you said, not only is that movement, again, really key, um, other elements of it are when you are actually doing an activity together, but side by side. Mm-hmm. It can be very intimidating and, and actually, again, when you're talking about somebody with trauma, they're in that fight or flight instinct space. And so their amygdala is in overdrive. If they're sitting there with making eye contact with somebody, mm-hmm. it is a Too huge, much. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they're often, it's actually a trigger for them mm-hmm. um, and they're not able to create those healthy bonds. When you get on our horses, you have sidewalkers, and the sidewalkers are next to you and helping you do these tasks. And a lot of them are really like huge trust-building exercises. Your eyes are closed, you're letting go, you're reaching for the sky, you're overcoming something that can be really kind of scary, but you're doing it with that individual who's next to you, who's helping you. There's no eye contact, there's this rocking movement, and they're often able to connect with an animal that much sooner than they are with a human. So in this space, it's opening up every door and every chance that we can for them to connect and create that rewiring for connection that they were missing from an infant. And so in those cases, we can often take the, the caregiver who's really needing to connect with that individual, and they can be that sidewalker. This again creates that space where they can start making those connections. And a lot of the time it does begin with the horse, mm-hmm. but it starts to carry over into those sidewalkers connections and as well. Do you know like the vision of what I had of that when you were saying that is like say if you were if you were a child who was in a unstable family and maybe you were left alone a lot or neglected, there probably wasn't a whole lot of this going on. But I was just thinking like some ways when you're a kid and you connect with your parent, might be you're in the swimming pool and you jump and your dad catches you Mm -hmm. or your mom catches you or your grandma. 
And kids love that. Have you ever seen a kid doing that at the swimming pool where they just jump, jump, jump till their parents' arms can't do it anymore? There's complete faith in the person at the other end of those arms. And I don't know, but I couldn't, don't yeah. think I could catch a 13-year-old. I know. So, I know right? um, so horses, yeah, that's just, I never thought of it that way. But that's wonderful that you are including the parent because that is who they need to connect with. And I think... From speaking from experience, that's a lot of times where things go wrong, where somebody will step up and say, oh, if you're having trouble with this kid with attachment disorder, let me take them for a while. Well, no, you know, they really do need to connect with that parent first. And so I think that's fabulous that you're doing that with them. And I've noticed when I've taken, because Jim and I fostered a long time, and you know that, uh, we don't anymore, but... Some of the teenagers that we had with us, I noticed exactly what you were saying about the fight or flight with eye contact. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as we were horseback down the trail and we were not having to look at each other, Mm -hmm. their hearts just poured. They would just tell you what's been on their mind. One time in an endurance ride, I was doing it with Josh and he's telling me all about his girlfriend and he's like, what, 19 then or something. Like, I just went over and I didn't finish the ride because, like, he, it was never the right time to say, oh, we better hurry mm-hmm. because then I would have been shutting him down. So if you look at my AERC record, there's a time where I was riding Faith that I went over time mm-hmm. because I didn't realize we had been talking so much. Yeah. But, you know, what mom is going to say, oh, be quiet <laughs> to your 19-year-old, let's go get a completion. No, I just sat and, and listened. And, yeah. and it's the same with long drives. And we actually, we hear it from our parents too often. Um, you know, we have a lot of adoptive parents who, again, had a child that came through treatment foster care and they adopted. And we hear it so frequently where the child on the way home after riding says something so profound that the parent is like, I have to pull over and, you know, and just soak up this moment of whatever it was with the child. But the other piece of that is, again, remember the language centers of the brain are being mm-hmm. stimulated. So where are they starting to also start talking about what they need or um, that communication piece, which is often missing in many of these children. Again, with trauma, with an underdeveloped brain, there's a lot of um, cognitive delays that come with that too. So um, it is, again, it's something where we can continuously reach people where they're at in all ages. Just to clarify, is it the bilateral movement that stimulates the brain? So the bilateral, actually, um, we encourage a lot of bilateral, which definitely crossing the midline um, is important for getting the brain's hemispheres to be communicating. So that's important that there's bilateral movement and crossing of the midline. Uh, But it is specifically the movement of the horse, just the walking. So just if we never did anything but walked around with that horse, that client's going to gain that core strength mm-hmm. and balance and getting that stem, that stimulation of the temporal lobe. So when you and I walk, we walk with that heel strike, heel toe. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, like a lot of kids will maybe on the spectrum if they have like a they tiptoe toe. walk. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they're not, they actually don't want that sensory input. It's overstimulating. And this is where, again, that horse can do it, but in this very rhythmic, slow and relaxing way, um, where they, again, they can start receiving that stimuli to the brain. So it's specifically, it's overlaying that heel toe strike um, that we will get when we walk and then everything else that we can do as a therapeutic advantage. I'm just thinking of our endurance riders listening and I'm thinking wow like endurance rides are maybe kind of healthy for us because we're having to follow all these directions so do you think we're benefiting unknowingly benefiting on things that we take for granted? All this input that you're telling me that you're specifically planning these individual plans for these kids we're benefiting from Mm -hmm. it out there yeah, on the trail. Absolutely. And I'm going to make sure I include in the show notes a link to Life Striders. So 
Um, people listen from, I think, about nine countries. And if, if you've enjoyed Crystal's story, you can follow that link. You can maybe go donate. They can donate on your site. Yeah, yes. absolutely. We can't do it without our community mm -hmm. supporting us. Um, we do a lot of work with inner city youth as well, and um, at-risk youth often are coming from an area where they don't have the, the resources, so we mm -hmm. do depend on the community to support it. You sound like you're doing fabulous work. I want to make a, a short shift here. Uh, I asked you ahead of time, mm -hmm. but I've known you since you were 10. So nine and a half. Nine and a half. Yeah. And the funny backstory is that I was visiting a church for the first time ever. And my family was visiting a church for the first time ever. So I'm looking at this family thinking that they've been there forever. <laughs> and they're probably thinking the same about me. But this adorable little girl with beautiful long hair came up to me and whispered, you have horses? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, yeah. And then we, we really hit it off, and I invited them out right away. Um, and the reason, Crystal, I wanted to bring this up was that little kid you run into that says, you have horses? Take the time to put into them, because I, I think I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. And now, you know, she's running this therapy place, which first she went to the show world for a while, and then... I remember the day you found the ad for Avalon Hiring, mm -hmm. and you called me and said, do you think I should do this? And I said, you would be phenomenal at this. And you just jumped in, and you started at, at Avalon, and, and it just grew from there. Yeah. And you've touched so many lives. I know you have even designed everything beautifully for how the horses are cared for out there. Constant work in progress. Make sure they have the best life possible. So, so I was that girl that, like, you know, first words were horses, and every mm -hmm. toy I had was horses. I'm still that girl that will, like, you know, drive down the road and horses, you know. So, um, everything in my life um, definitely it was a calling, in, in like they say, in my blood. But my life was also, you know, not like a lot of kids um, at nine and a half these days. You know, I think. Um, struggling. I came from a divorced family and um, there was a lot of tension between the families and struggling. Um, I look back at it now and I go, you know, with a, like early childhood depression, there was just mm -hmm. wasn't any engagement into anything. Um, and so horses turned all of that around. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the questions you said, well, you know, when we're going down the trail, are we benefiting? Not only are you benefiting with all of these physical things that I mentioned, but they also say, like, you know, there's science that's catching up. We know we feel great when we're out in nature. Mm -hmm. Now we know you actually are truly taking care of your mental and physical health by being out in nature. And I think just caring for horses, getting outside and being in nature has a, a major impact on someone's mental health. Which is why we met here today. We were going to meet in your office, but you're yeah. very good at self-care, and you said, hey, how about this place, um, which we were both familiar with, and there's a bunch of people outside cross-country skiing right now. It's yeah. winter in Wisconsin, and we're enjoying the fire. But this is one of the places you come to recharge, mm -hmm. even without a horse. You get yeah. out in nature. Sometimes with a horse, too. Sometimes with a horse, too. But, yeah. horse too, <laughs> yeah. but we're, we're doubling up that therapy by, like you are saying, you're being outside yeah. is therapy, being with the horse is therapy. The, another amazing piece that I see uh, a part of that community um, is that actually bringing new people to the horses. Um, and, you know, Chris and I were talking about how this mm -hmm. world is, is fast declining, and unfortunately, I think with hay prices the way they are, we're yeah. not going the right direction in building. Yeah, that the horse world is shrinking. I belong, I have horses of different breeds, and so I get different emails and different 
um, print material. And it's a common theme, no matter which breed it is, that the horse world is definitely shrinking down. And part of why Crystal and I were going to cover this at the end here was to encourage you, take the time if you can. If it's a good time in your life, if you have the right spare horse, if it fits right now, or maybe just think of this and do it in the future, to take the time to find a Mm nine-year-old and let them come out and ride your horse and brush your horse and walk it around and feed it treats. Because I, both of us agreed that this, if there's going to be a, maintain, a maintenance or a resurgence of the horse community, we're going to have to grassroots it, people. Like, we're going to have to one-on-one. Yeah. Or, you know, or take them, even if you feel like, well, my horse, my horse doesn't necessarily have what they need or, you know, they're, they're spooky or they're, you know, I can't trust them with little kids or whatever it is. You know, there's horses in that community. Again, go volunteer with that kid at a, mm-hmm. at a therapeutic center and get them around horses that are safe to be handled. They can learn that way until they maybe can come to your horse. But I think there's opportunities that you right. can, can get them involved. And by all means, you know, I am a testimony to how much it's changed my life. That is the second step of your horse story was, mm-hmm. and the first step was meeting Johnny and getting that connection there. But the second step was I was working at a farm and I really, really hammered that person until they hired you, but they're, oh, she's too young. I said, nope, she's be the hardest worker ever. And so you went into that world and had that show world and then you grew it into this, this other thing with therapy and now you trim hooves also, you give lessons, private lessons. So it's just really expanded and I know it's beyond that now that I've seen the girls that you've brought along that are now, well, they were young girls, and now they're married. And, I know. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm yeah. a granny now. <laughs> but, yeah. It's but, amazing, for sure. And again, to see that, like, so not only the transfer, that transformation in my life, but you're absolutely right. So I've got, like, my little ducklings and the girls that have come along under my wings um, who also came up to me and said, you have a horse. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so being able to see what it's meant in their life and how um, it's carried over even into their families now as they are all getting married. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, again, I, it's something that I think there's such a massive ripple effect. It does, it's an easy thing to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's an easy thing to make amazing impacts in someone's life. With. Yeah, because it's, we definitely, we had times where it fit, it worked. There were seasons where we could spend a lot of time together on this. There were seasons it didn't, especially after you were working. And you, but you, you were still free to call me and say, what should I do, and this and this, and this is a good person to watch videos on, this is a good person to read. So being a mentor to a young person, it, it doesn't mean they're going to ride your horse every Saturday yeah. because you want to ride your horse no, every Saturday. True. I would have never, the first horse is so, um, my career of training horses before therapeutic riding um, was starting a lot of young stallions <laughs> under saddle. And, um, and so getting the confidence of, you know, from somebody who did have the experience, and no, maybe not in person always, but over the phone or and a text or whatever. Texts weren't a thing yet. <laughs> oh, you're the one who ta- got me to texting. That's how That's how old this relationship it's is. Crystal is the first person who texted me and 
taught me to text back when you had to push a button like six times, and I was so frustrated. <laughs> and then I would never like text her back, and then I got a smartphone, and she's like, wow, you're getting really good at this. Oh I'm like, uh-uh, I got a new phone. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. have to push the same button six times anymore. <laughs> yeah. But that's how like long we've known each other that's is true. you taught me to text. <laughs> but I, but there were so many things that I tried because I had that mentor in my life mm-hmm. um, that someone could say, you could do this. Maybe mm-hmm. watch out for this. Maybe watch out for that. Mm-hmm. Um, little things do well, and I know what it did in my life. So before we close down, I did want to make sure I, I brought this out because you, Batal, mm-hmm. you're Batal, you're yeah. Bobby, was a three-year-old straight Egyptian Arabian stallion that you bonded with as a young girl and eventually traveled to Kentucky Horse Park and showed him. And a lot of people are not in the Egyptian world, so can you just tell us the award you won with him about that has to do with your relationship? Yeah, so it's called the El Gahara. Um, it's not a, it's not a, like a high point or a, a winning. We actually, though we did take high point, let's not take <laughs> that down a notch. But no, um, it is about the, the bond and the relationship between the trainer, the rider, and the horse. Um, or the, so trainer, rider being one um, and, and that horse. And so that was really cool for us, for sure. Um, he's so a, so how, who decides who gets this award? Yeah. Um, so it was part of the, the Kentucky Horse Park's Egyptian event um, that was... It was a thing back then. I'm so out of the world. I don't know if it's a thing anymore. Um, but it was an international show. And the committee gave it to the person that they saw had a significant bond with the horse at the show. It was actually, we were the first ones. They probably still have it going, but we mm-hmm. were the first ones to have gotten that award. And it, I think it was just the show committee probably that, that doled it out, but it was, it was yeah. neat for us. I mean, not to diminish High Point at a huge international show, but... That would be the award I would want to get. Yeah, that would be the award I wouldn't get. And, you know, that somebody said, this person is extremely bonded with their horse. Yeah, he's my boy. Yeah, and he is, he's your boy. Yeah. But he used to be a lot more silver than white, and now he's white. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting silver, too, though. <laughs> it eventually all happens. Yeah. But I want to thank you for taking your time to talk with us and um, share your story and share your life striders and I will make sure I include a link. Thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Kim Fossler again and I'm coming back with the back injury part two and so we're going back to May 2011 and I had originally planned on doing the season with 25 comps, but I had found while conditioning, I, I would get, start getting uncomfortable right about, you know, like 10, 11, 12 miles. Um, so I didn't feel doing 25s or more would be a good idea, at least right off the bat. And so I started in the novice division, which is 10, 12, or 15 miles. That was going really well, and I ended up deciding to stay in it for the season. Um, We were being very competitive for points, and who doesn't love a year-end award? So I decided to stay in the novice division. I did do a 25 comp that September and did well. My back held out fine. I think... 
honestly, just getting those miles under our belts and becoming stronger and gaining strength in my back and my core was probably the smartest thing before I went out and just started doing a whole bunch of miles. So finished 2012 great. And then um, we did three years of LDs and we did real good. And we've just finished our fourth year of endurance. I have done 275s and finished. I have attempted two 100s, but I have not finished either one of those. We were pulled on our first for a muscle cramp at mile 75. And then our second one this year, we attempted I rider optioned at mile 75. He had a one gut sound that was a little wonky and that quadrant wasn't recovering and I didn't like it. So we ended up deciding to rider option at mile 75 again. So we have over 2000 miles together so far. I would say probably the most important thing for myself with my back injury had been making sure I stay adjusted with my chiropractor. So I visit her very regularly, very religious about going to see Julie, my chiropractor. Um, she knows how much important or how important writing is to me. And she, she actually supports my writing. She feels my off season is my worst time because I'm not riding and I'm more prone to injury then. So sitting here in December and I have now re-injured my back two weeks ago. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I bent down in the bathroom to pick up my bath towel that I had dropped and I felt a pinch. And I thought I might have just thrown my back out. So I called my chiropractor and made an appointment. She unfortunately couldn't get me until the following week, which was fine. I figured I'll just suffer through it. It's nothing I haven't done before. Come Saturday morning, I woke up and I could not walk. I was in so much pain. I had to crawl to the bathroom. I had to ask my oldest son to feed my horse for me. And so I called my chiropractor back Saturday morning and begged that she see me that day. Um, she did the best she could with me. I could not tolerate laying on my stomach nor my back. Um, everything was on my left side. I, I had to lay on my left side. And Julie strongly advised after seeing me that I do see my doctor as soon as possible. So the good thing was, is I had already had an appointment the Monday after Thanksgiving for the doctor. So I called and updated them, told them that I'd hurt my back. Let's forget about the other appointment. I need to see them for my back really bad. And saw my doctor that Monday. She confirmed probably one of my biggest fears that I have re-injured the S1, L5, and the L5, L4 discs. But I've now injured them on the right side. 
I am currently doing PT. I've done two weeks now. I go twice a week with some really great people that have in mind my goal. And I gave them my goal that I want to be writing again by March. And they said that is absolutely an awesome goal to have. And it's very possible as long as I do my exercises and listen to them. Right now I am on a lift restriction, so I can't even go feed my horse because I have to carry water in the winter. So I'm missing him terribly. I do sneak up and go see him every now and then. I think the hardest thing for me to deal with with this re-injury of my back is at the end of every ride season, I typically have the following season already planned. For 2020, I have planned I wanted to do an outer region ride, and I had added a new in-region ride for myself in June. Not knowing that I'm going to be able to do that is really hard to swallow. I have also just purchased, less than a month ago, a new-to-me trailer with a living quarters and a bathroom and I'm super excited to use it. And now, you know, I'm kind of putting everything on hold and just trying to stay positive and get stronger. Yesterday's PT went well. We did something new called dry needling. So Andy put uh, needles in by the injured discs and then also from the sciatica following to the outside of my glutes because I the muscle spasming that I'm having with this injury is unreal. Like curl my leg up muscle spasms. I was not able to feel my toes at first. I have now gained pretty much all of the feeling back in out my outside toes of my right foot. My big toe is a little bit numb yet, but it's not terrible. It's it's doable. At least I don't I don't worry about walking and tripping because I can feel my foot finally. Um, I've dropped my crutches this week, which is awesome. So with this, I'm hoping that once I can start walking normal again and without pain, I want to start walking again. I need to watch my diet again, which is tough for me because. When I stress out and I'm stressed because I just bought a new trailer, I eat candy and I love candy. So we will see what happens. I, I'm i positive that I'll be writing again when I just don't know. That's, that's my issue. I need to get strong again because I don't want to risk hurting CJ in any way. So we'll see what happens, and uh, maybe we'll give a hopefully updated um, ride season for 2020 for myself. Right now I'm planning our January convention for Umecra. I've got my plate full with that. I have uh, my youngest son plays basketball, so I'm following him all over. Uh, after the new year, my oldest son starts trap season. I'll keep plenty busy to hopefully keep my mind off of writing. Um, I have some other stuff going on too. And uh, fingers crossed, I will recover and be able to give a really good update this next spring. Thanks. Hello, everyone. This is Brooke again from Iowa. I want to start off by saying that I'm thinking of you all in Australia 
and all the devastating things that are happening there. I've been thinking about you all a lot recently and hope you are all safe. So I wanted to add to the episode about health and this is more about mental health than physical health as in my last submission I talked about an injury I had and um, continuing conditioning by driving my horse rusty instead of riding while I was healing but there's still that overlying fear that you're going to fall off again like what's going to happen next time how am I going to get hurt and that can make you that can hurt your confidence as a rider and so I'm going to tell you all how I am trying to overcome that I feel like I've gone gotten pretty far already not completely there yet but this these steps seem to help me and it's possible that you all know these steps already but um, for those who don't I hope they can be a help to you and be encouragement so like I said, Rusty um, spooks very easily at things. And especially in the winter and spring, he has a lot of energy just from being in a small pen. And that in combination, not being out much, he can be almost out of control sometimes and wants to take off and spook at things bigger than he needs to. So this is what I do to feel more confident and control in the saddle because there's no ride that's fun when you don't feel confident and like you're in control of your horse. So this is where I started. Um, I taught him the one rein stop where you pull on one side and this works best with a snaffle. You pull on one side. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. I haven't used a, a bitless bridle before either, but I found it very effective with the snaffle. So you pull the one a rein to one side until they stop and do it at the walk, trot, and canter, and your horse should you should be able to pull on the rein and they um, stop within a couple of strides or steps. And after that, make sure you're able to walk and trot your horse in tight circles and your horse should be able to be lunged. And this gives you control of their front. Being able to go in tight circles and have control of their head prevents them from rearing and or bucking if you shut their movement down with that. So you've got all these mechanisms down. Um, your horse will stop with a one rein stop, will walk and trot in tight circles and gives their head the bit or the, the bridle. So you're going out on your trail ride or your conditioning ride. I bring, especially in the off season, a long lead rope and just have it attached to a cabazon. I know some situations like isn't the most safe if you do fall forward and get caught in it. Um, I just take that chance or I just keep it on the horn and not attach the cabazon. Um, so have that ready. Um, next step identify your horse's triggers, learn what they are going to spook at, anticipate what's going to happen. If they're not actively spooking at it, don't look at it. Pretend it's not there, like keep, keep an eye on it in your peripheral vision, but pretend it's not there. If they start looking at it and becoming uncomfortable, um, snorting, breathing heavily, first thing I do is 
um, turn his head away from it, getting him to concentrate on my cues instead. If he is not responding to that, he's starting to go faster and be starting to act out of control. Um, I start doing those one rain stops, but if he keeps moving his feet, I make him do uh, walk and trot in tight circles. If I still don't feel safe, even with that, you know what? There's no shame in getting off. If you feel like you're going to get hurt and you feel like you're out of control, it's not good for either you or your hurt, your horse to get be put in that situation. So just get off. There's nothing wrong with that. And once I get off, I try to get his head back in the game. Um, lunge him in, again, small circles and make him change direction very often. Um, use both sides of his brain. And um, once I feel like he's listening to me and taking my uh, following my cues very consistently then I'll get back on and I just repeat that process until I feel like I'm safe I'm in control and I'm confident with him I hope those few pointers can help some of you if you feel like you don't trust your horse and you feel like you're unsafe just get that control and if you don't have that control, just get off. Work with your horse until you do have that control. And the last thing I'm doing with Rusty to help with the situation is my fellow Morgan Horse friend, um, the Iowa Morgan Horse Club, showed me some liberty training. And she, she told me that her horse was a lot like Rusty, like very scared to go off on his own. Um, but, and I think that's a huge it's a huge trust thing but I was I didn't know how to gain that trust but oh my gosh liberty work has been awesome um so look it up online if you want any pointers of where to start with liberty work all right um I hope everyone's new year is going well and look forward to hearing everyone else's submissions thanks bye everyone, it's Bridget Helms. I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about rider fitness, since that's the theme. Um, me, myself, I have been riding all of my adult life. Um, I used to train for the public, and then I took a desk job. So there, um, at that time, when I started working in town, I started going to the gym and kind of doing my own thing, which worked for a while. But then I had a couple kids, and I discovered that leaving my house was difficult. Uh, my husband has a shift working job, so he works days and nights, and never the. I mean, he always works the same schedule, but it flips from days to nights, and so he doesn't ever have like Tuesdays and Thursdays off. He's never home at five o'clock at night, or you know, he leaves for work really early in the morning when he works day shifts, and so for me, getting out of the house without the kids on a regular basis was pretty tough. So I decided to start working out in my home, which I found worked really, really well for me. Um, so I started endurance riding. Uh, let's see, this, this last season was my first real season of hitting uh, rides all season long. So I've, I've always been riding. I've never had to endure the, the rigors of endurance riding where you're actually riding all day long. Because um, I remember when I first started doing, when I did the 225s that I did, I thought that was tough. I was also riding in a Western saddle at the time. So quite a few things have changed over the last year. 
for my endurance riding, but I started out this season doing back-to-back -back 50s in May, and while, yes, I was sore, um, I really wasn't as bad as I thought I was going to be. Like, the next day, I was pretty rough, you know, it was a little bit rough going up and down steps, but within a day or two, I was actually feeling pretty good. Um, and then as the season progressed, uh, doing a 50 was not a big deal at all. And I definitely saw a difference in my riding. The more fit I got, um, my core strength was better. I know after having two kids, for me, I struggled with core strength for a long time. Um, so I felt like I was riding better. I was riding more balanced. So what I do is I use a mixture of different programs. These programs are created by professionals and they come with a calendar that I follow and then I just do the workouts as they tell me to do them and I follow a video so it helps me to know what to do and you know because I was never somebody who did a lot of exercising before like I said when I kind of did my own thing in the gym it was mostly treadmill and bike and kind of things I could figure out or using some of the workout machines and then doing crunches. I didn't really do any specific workouts because I just didn't know what I was doing. So now I feel like I'm able to do more targeted workouts. And so for me, I like to choose things that kind of mix some cardio and some weightlifting. So I get some you know, aerobic exercise, I get some weight training, and then I get some core work, and I usually try to do some yoga or some more flexibility type workouts, so I try to keep the programs that I choose pretty balanced, and it's worked out really, really well. I kind of stay at the same weight all the time, for the most part, just because I don't, I'm not always the best at my nutrition, although I could be because my programs also come with nutrition guides that if I were to follow them like I should, I would probably have even more amazing results physically, but you know, I feel like the weight that I feel is the most important and I feel very strong. I feel like I ride my horse pretty well and so, and it feels good when I need to get off and walk like on Bighorn 50. Some of those canyons were pretty steep and my saddle was slipping and so getting off and walking was not even difficult for me at all. So for me I found that that works the best um, and I found that I liked these programs and this way of living so much that I decided to actually become a coach and just try to help others see the same, you know, see the same benefits that I've seen just because I found that it's so great for riders. So if you're ever curious to learn a little bit more about it or check it out, I always have um, things that I, you know, workouts that I can send to you to try that are completely free and it's nothing more than just a link. So, you know, just something else to just keep in mind. I know if you're like me and you, it's hard to leave the house, you've got small kids or you know, like me, I also live quite a ways from town, getting to a gym on a regular basis just is not something that's in the cards for me. I would love to be able to go to a gym and see real people while I work out and maybe do something like that, but for me it's just not an option. So this really works well for me, so maybe you're in the same boat as me there and you would like to try it sometime, but I think you would be surprised at how much better you ride when you are more fit yourself. And then I always feel better about it when I'm expecting my horse to be, his, you know, his most fit and 
you know, it probably helps him when I'm fit too. So I just wanted to share that with you guys so to let you know that there's that option out there if, if you are like me. And uh, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at This Mom Rides. I like to share some inspiration, some horsey's posts, and just some fun stuff. So if you want to check me out there, talk to you later. Bye. Hello, Jim. Hey, Chris. How are you? I am doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing good because it's Friday and I'm home with you. And I know that after Harlan's basketball game tomorrow and after the meeting I have to go to tomorrow, that we have a date night. Ooh, that's something to look forward to. What are we going to do? Go see a movie. And? Go walking and running and walking and running. We better get on that because... We signed up for those races. We better train or we're going to really be crawling through those trail runs. So can you believe that March will be two years of this podcast? We started in March of 2018. Yep, and this is episode 34. It is. I've been trying to average 12 episodes per year. So I think we kind of exceeded that goal. You're a year ahead. I guess if you look at it that way, that'd be a year ahead. So are you looking forward to camping this year with the ponies? Oh, yeah. I hope we have a uh, good spring and a good summer and a good hay season. I was just going to say a good hay season. And um, I'm kind of interested to see what the kids cook over the fire again. Last year was um, they even started cooking grapes over the fire. I don't know what that was all about. Anything they could get on a stick, they were doing it. It's kind of like the fair where everything's deep fried, but no, they were everything was cooked on the fire. Well, I heard that you make the best campfires. I try. You do a good job. And I also heard that those grapes tasted good. I didn't, I didn't get one, but maybe I'll have to try this year. I didn't get one either. They didn't look that appetizing. <laughs> but yeah, they said they were good. You don't know. Things get invented. Things happen. Well, you had some good stories here. I hope everybody enjoyed them. I hope so, too. I was just going to mention, I'm sure everybody has their own camping traditions, and that might be a good episode to do in the future, but uh, I, I think it was at a barbecue with my brother that I decided to bring some rocks that we had pre-painted with a spray can. We painted them black, and then we brought all these colors and had the kids paint them all sorts of colors. So now every time we go camping, we bring this kind of art kit along with us. And the kids get to paint and it's just become kind of a big deal. It's a tradition. It is a tradition. So if you enjoy the podcast and you think about sending in, maybe you can include in there one of your favorite camping traditions. Because I know I would love to hear it. Yeah, it might give us some ideas for some other traditions. That would be fabulous. Well, guys, it's been fun sharing some time with you, and I hope we made your commute go faster or your job or your workout. We're so glad you took the time to spend with us. See you in episode 35. That's all for now. Ride far, ride well, ride often. Bye. Bye. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory. 
to share your story on Endurance Horse Podcast, send an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com.